other questions? Yes. I have a question about Pratishna. You know, I sometimes have trouble when I'm in the kirtan, and you know, it's kind of odd, but you can you kind of feel that the singer has some proud pride about singing the kirtan, leading it, or at least I perceive that, and I don't know. I don't really know how to deal with that. Whether it's something that I just observe, whether it's like my own pratishta is being reflected in the singer. Or whether it's like even like beneficial to be in a kirtan like that. So what you're saying is that you're in a kirtan and you perceive sometimes that the person leading the kirtan has some pratishta. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's what I. Mm-hmm. Think. And so you're wondering what um, what to think about that. Yes. Well, uh, you know, it could be any number of things. It could be that the singer has some pratishta. Most devotees have. Some pratishta, some may have it more than others. And uh, sometimes those who like, really like to sing and lead the kirtans might be uh, more so than others. There was a godbrother of mine that uh, really liked to lead kirtan. He was a musician, but he was really in, into it in a musical way. And he, would, he was a temple president at one time too, so he would train his devotees in the cartels and everything like that. One time he was chanting in Vrindavan uh, in the Krishna Balaram temple leading the kirtan and Prabhupada was in his room and he was hearing it on the microphone. He said, who is that Rakshasha leading the kirtan? <laughs> and he was full of pratishta about it. I mean, he very much oozed with that. Um, so, not always, but pretty much. So, that's... Um, Uncomfortable. That's an extreme example. Maybe there are other extents, extent other people, or it may be that sometimes the kirtanir may be not so accustomed to leading, maybe a little embarrassed and self-centered, self, you know, kind of preoccupied, and that may may appear as a protesto or something like that. That's all. That's also possible, and. It, it may also be a projection on your part, <laughs> so, any of the of the above, so to speak. But um, I think there are probably different ways to deal with it. One way would be to look beyond it and um, try to look beyond it and think that I'm noticing this pratishta, but some benefit is there, he's trying, and uh, and I'll ignore the petition and try to get through it here. Something like that. I suppose that would be one strategy. Another would be to leave the kirtan. I know another devotee that picks up on that and, uh, and uh, leaves the kirtan on account of it. So that's another strategy. And then, you know, there's some self-reflection has to be there. If, whether it's clear and it's apparent, or it's maybe you or not, as I say in the third case. And then, if you determine it's you, then you need to stay in the kirtan and get uh, purified. But overall, I think that you're going to see unwanted things, undesirable things, surfacing and. 
we should try not to be preoccupied with those, but with the fact that they're doing things to overcome that. Even somebody may get real wound up and showy in the, in the kirtan and so forth. It doesn't mean that they're here only for that reason. They're they're also they would probably be worse be worse <laughs> and more um, filled with self pride and so forth elsewhere. So people don't come to Gaudiya Vaishnavism for pride for the most part, um, but they carry it with them some more than others. And then there may be qualities in you that are that are bad that stand out to others that they may uh, may tolerate. So I would suggest a strategy of, of tolerance for the most part in overlooking that. Unless it just, you know, it's really bad, like someone has eaten a whole bulb of garlic or something and you know, this oozing from every pore of their body and I, I've met devotees like that when it comes to kirtan. It's hard to... But then the, the experience will be pretty much universal. So you can also consult with other devotees of your peers whom you have confidence and see if, you, if they think that if they perceive the same thing can help you to get a more objective take on it. You can also approach the devotee and say, you know, I really like you, kind of, but... This really makes it difficult for me. That's pretty bold, but uh, you, you can try it. Um, so it's not a pretty, pretty thing that pratishta. It's a big problem. It's the root of all an artist. So should help one another deal with it. That help. I mean. How much do you want to be recognized for your service? I find most of the devotees have some sense about that, and it's natural. And after a while, then that'll that'll go away because they'll know that they're um, appreciated, and they'll feel it inside. They'll be full. So those kind of things are there, and amongst sadhakas the kirtan is still under the auspices of of the um, Shuddha Bhakta then and he or she's not stopping the person from leading kirtan and correcting them then you may be a little reticent to to do so yourself but uh, you could again bring it up to someone get a third person opinion about it. But it's we have to be careful of things that stand out in other people's, other devotees' lives that are troublesome to us or not something we, we want to get too preoccupied with. We may do them a service by doing that and ourselves a disservice because those qualities may come in us and leave them because you know, whatever you meditate upon that you become. So, if you're only preoccupied with the faults of others, then that's a recipe for a problem for you, and it's good for them. If their faults will leave them, they'll come into you. So, we should be a little cautious about that. But then not, in a way, to whitewash 
and uh, become neurotic. Thank you, neurotic about it, and um, artificially never find fault in anyone. You you don't want to find fault in anyone. That's said to be uh, the symptom of an advanced devotee. But if you artificially don't find fault in anyone, you become a little neurotic and odd, and it will appear very artificial and and uh, not be an ornament. So you have to deal with uh, your own self in relation to the stage that you're at. And there will be a stage where you find real faults, and then you want to think as you are by asking the question how to deal with them constructively. What else? Krishna's name, Trastamenta, uh, doesn't matter how we pronounce them. What I know about Sanskrit, even if we change some accent, this word is completely different. So I understand that if we change accent, if we not pronounce properly, it's not Krishna's name anymore. How is it? Well, uh, the name is represented in the syllables externally, but it's more than the syllables, it's Krishna himself. And the full name, Shuddhanam, therefore can be chanted, even if, from a linguistic point of view, there might be some error. It's hard with the word Krishna, but um, in terms of what you're saying, grammatically and so forth. Point being here that um, Chaitanya Dev, for example, in Kirtan and Rathayatra, he chanted Jagamoga Jagmoha Jaja. <laughs> he tried to say Jagannath and it came out Jagamoha Jaja. And that was not the right pronunciation, but we wish we could pronounce the holy name like that. That's our aspiration. He heard a secular love song and he sang a secular love song in the Rathayatra from the Kavi Prakash of Vishwanath, not Vishwanath Chakrati Thakur, but a secular poet. When, oh, you, when will we meet again under the banks of the Revati tree? This is a, this is a song, a secular love song. And Mahaprabhu sang that. And Rupa Goswami wrote a verse in, in Sanskrit verse explaining the meaning. And if you study the meaning, it's, it's pure Brajbhakti, Prem Bhakti, highest ideas that he was uh, expressing. So, the point is that it transcends the linguistic casing, if you will, that the sound comes in. It's, it's sound coming from the heart. The language of Goloka is not Sanskrit or Bengali or Brajbas. It's love, not the language. The language of love, bhava, prem. They speak Sanskrit there in Dwarka. They speak... Bengali and Sweta Dweep, Navadweep. They speak Brajbas and uh, in the Braj Lila, but that's only like there's Varnashram there too. 
they also do Vaidhi Bhakti there. In the house of Nandamars, they worship Nishinga, Shila. But it's all just a structure that gives shape for the expression of Prema. Like I've said before, they worship in Shringa Dev, but their mind is somewhere else. Like most devotees, they're worshiping, but their mind is somewhere else. But Nandamars' mind is on Krishna, not on Narayan. He goes to church on Sunday, that's all. But his mind is somewhere else. They follow the Varnashram, but Goloka's transcendental the Varnashram, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, I want to say, uh, rejected the Varnashram to an extent, in that he said it's he rejected as the, the idea that it's the goal, or that it's the means to the highest goal. You want to know the highest goal from Rai Ramananda and the means to attain it. So he, he, when I offered, Varnashram was offered up, he rejected it in that context. His ideal and his means to attain it transcended the Varnashram. But we find Varnashram in Goloka. And people adhere to follow it. But it's only a, a form through which the, the bhakti, the, the, the prem, the bhava is expressing itself. The whole place is completely transcendental to Varnashram. Entirely. That's why when we try to import some part of Varnashram here, it can become problematic. If we try to import the, the bhava from there, then it won't be a problem. The spirit of that, the feeling of that. Someone imports some idea like, okay, the women can only do this or something, like they do in Varnashram or in Goloka. Gopis stand in the back, you know. They don't go out cowherding with Krishna in the day or something like that. They can't say, enough of this Varnashram. I'm going now. <laughs> they follow, they follow the Varnashram. But it's only like a sham, as I say. It's, it's really what's happening is, is praying. There's the reason they don't go really is because, because they're, they're tasting parakī above and it has to be secret. And if that parakī above to be tasted, and, so forth. And that's the real reason. Ostensibly, the reason is, whoa, we should follow the social religious system. Young girls shouldn't be off with young boy in, in the forest, and, uh, and, uh, and so they would do this. Overt reasons are all according to the social religious system, but we know the real reason is something else. So if we import something like that from there and say, okay, there will be no, no women allowed, uh, you know when Swami speaks or something or whatever, or they have to all sit in the back. Then in our modern society, the sensibilities of women who have suffered you know, much uh, from oppression and so forth, maybe uh, their sensibilities may be offended and they may not, it may hinder their participation. If they have enough sukriti, they'll get beyond it. doesn't mean it's okay. <laughs> Because the real spirit of Goloka is, 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 is what? That there's room for everybody. And Krishna is with, with, with every gopi at the same time. In Rasa dance. He's with every single gopi. He's with every single coward boy thinks Krishna loves me the most. And Sanatana Prabhu says, and every one of them is right. So he's there for everyone. He's accessible for everyone. 
they're all equal in that sense. You know, spiritually, there's some differentiation in taste and so forth, but they're all brajpasis and distinctions of Varnashram don't apply to the soul. Those distinctions of Varnashram are for helping the soul come out from its conditioning by prohibiting it from doing things that won't be good for it and engaging it on a low level anyway in things that will be good for the soul. Once the soul is healthy, then what's the need of Varnashram? Right? So it's a feeling, a spiritual feeling, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and we have to try to convey that in language and by example and so forth, inspire people in that way. And so with Nam, with regard to Nam, there, there are syllables that represent the, the idea of the, name, of the holy name. And you can chant it in the stage of Nama Pura or in the, as, 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 as Nama Bas or Shudhanam. If your heart, Baba Grahi Janarana, Krishna is described, he is the one who accepts the spirit of the offering. So, Pujapada once said that if the heart's in the right place, the devotees may be pronouncing the sloka wrong, but Krishna will say, I think you meant this, right? I can hear your heart. The sound coming out of your mouth is different, but I think you must have meant to say this. It goes like this. So this is a bhakti. What you're referring to, like for example in the story of Vritrasura in the seventh, uh, sixth canto of the Bhagavatam, then there was a, some uh, attempt to create an, an enemy that would uh, destroy, the, uh, someone that would destroy the enemy of Indra, but was pronounced wrong, and so the destroyer, the, an enemy of Indra was created, who would destroy Indra, which was Ritra, Ritra Asura, right? So that's not in the realm of bhakti. You're dealing with the realm of karma. Bhakti is not about trying to protect myself, or it's 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 Sharanagati. Krishna is my protector. He'll bring the water. <laughs> like you were talking to me earlier. So, in the realm of karma, karma kanda, then rituals are very important, and pronunciation is crucial. Facing the right direction is crucial. The right time, having the, all the right ingredients, it's law-laden, law-heavy. It's rule-heavy, karma kanda. So many rules. Varnashram is rule heavy. And in its love light. The more there are rules, the less there is love. The less there are rules, the more there is love. That's a fact. Love transcends rules. There's no need for rules. How do we, how we'll conduct ourselves in love. It's spontaneous, it's natural. My desire becomes your desire as soon as I know it, and your desire becomes mine as soon as you know it. So anyway, as soon as I know your desire, that becomes mine because I love you, and vice versa. So there's no need for rules, but rules are a breakdown of love. And those who are lawless in a negative way, which is also possible, 
the lower end, on the other end of the spectrum, is no laws <laughs> and no love, right? Wild, animal-like, animality. So to curb the animality in us, there are laws. And Shastas, if you do these, God will be pleased with you. So it's a beginning kind of love, but the extent to which God is pleased with one who performs the karmakanda activities with... He, he still has a motive, he still has animality, that he's selfish, he wants something for himself, he's self-centered, but it's trying to wean one from self-centeredness gradually. So there's not a lot of love in there. It doesn't please Krishna very much. He doesn't even pay attention, hardly, to Vaidhi Bhakti, which is so high compared to Karmakanda. He's interested in in, 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 in Rag Bhakti. That's what excites him, because that's about him. So if someone's interested in him personally, that, that gets his attention. But nonetheless, he's given the rules, so forth, for the you know Karmakanda and so on. So, and it's rule-heavy. And part of that rule-heavy idea is pay close attention, you've got to study the book real carefully, follow all the rules. Then, like magic, boom, you get the result. i got a good son. i got a good wife. i got a good husband. It worked. So, the real fruit of that adherence is the faith in the Shastra that results which makes one more interested in the Shastra. And then you look deeper and you find all this karma kind of here is, is like I'm wasting my time. <laughs> Everything I do, I, I get. I can go as high as heaven only. And then i got to come back down. Why am I doing this? Then you go to the Uttarme uh, Mamsa, uh, the end section. You go to the Vedanta. And you find out about eternality. You inquire about Brahman and so forth. You have faith. That's the general rule. Therefore, the Purva Mimamsa says, Atato Dharma Jignasu. For human beings. Now is the time to inquire about Dharma. When that section is completed, then we have the Vedanta Sutra, the Uttar Mimamsa, later part. And it says, Now is the time to inquire about Brahman. Having passed through the religious life and understood it. Of course, you can also become qualified to inquire about Brahman by Sadhu Sangha without having to go through all that karmakanda and so on and so forth. But at any rate, the point is that on one end of the religious spectrum, it's very rule-heavy and love-light, and on the other end, rag-bhakti, it's rule-light and love-heavy. Prabhupada wanted his mission to be ruled by love and trust. That's pretty rule light, isn't it? By love and trust. Love one another, trust one another, let's go forward. If you find someone was not trustworthy, well, that's a disappointment. Hope he changes. So, in that section anyway, in that realm, the realm of karma, then that pronunciation is very, very important. But in bhakti, the heart is, is important, so even the pronunciation is wrong. Krishna is listening to your heart. It's not a tongue exercise, the chanting. 
It's not a counting exercise. It's a heart exercise. Therefore, jaja moha jagad. We only wish we could chant like that. Pronounce it all wrong. You follow? To the devotees who are speaking quite hardly, how important is to know all your rules to worship deities. And they were emphasizing this that you have to learn. And I got rather. You have to do what? They were emphasizing how important it is to learn that all rules trick. And my brother came and he said that, no, it's only bhakti is needed. They said, no, no, you just process like Christian, you're speaking such things, you have to learn. He said, no, if you just, if you will follow bhakti, if you will have bhakti, if you will have devotion, automatically you will, you will want to learn the best. And you will, you will learn what is possible, the best. But if you will just want to learn strict, you will be like a machine. Uh-huh. Yes, if you, if you have bhakti, devotion, love, then you want to do it right also. And that would be the motive to learn how to do exactly how Krishna wants. And it won't be rules anymore. Right? I love, I love Krishna, so I want to offer the deity of Krishna just the way he would like to accept it. So it doesn't, there's no longer, with that, from that perspective, it doesn't appear like a whole book of rules. That's what your friend, devotee, was, was saying. So, if we if we don't know the rules, we're not lost in bhakti. But if we have real bhakti, we'll want to do it right also. So when we learn we, we did it wrong, well, then we want to do it right the next time. When Krishna and Balaram were installed in the temple in in, in, in the Krishna Balaram Mandir, it was a big event for Prabhupada, huge event. I mean, it was probably the, the event of the biggest single event of his whole preaching campaign because he was, you know, there he was. He was living in Vrindavan and from there he went out and preached all over the world and there wasn't any interest in Vrindavan. He came back to Vrindavan, wanted to establish a temple there. He established a temple of this of Christian Balaram who was so dear to him and so forth. And it was a struggle to do that. And anyway, it's a huge triumph for him. Huge, huge. It took years and years and years of struggle with local people, struggle to raise some money, problems with his own devotees there and so forth. And um, when he did it, it was, it was you know, government officials were coming every night for a week to see the Arctics and, and Brahmin families, six Brahmin families sent their boys to be initiated, which is like unheard of. That they would be eat chapatis, you know, and Prabhupada's mission cooked by Westerners and so forth. So it was a huge accomplishment. At any rate, then the way they did the Arctic was very much choreographed. There were the three altars and they had these big ghee lamps, you know, with the lamps coming up like this. And so the person in the Gorn at the at the at the Krishna Balaram altar was the lead person. And so there was like the sign language that he would have, you know, you'd, you'd look to the Pujari for Radha Shamsun. There's a big altar, you know, it goes for, you know, 30, 40 feet or something long. So he would look over, give a nod, look to the Gornath altar, give a nod, and then step forward, do the Hachman, 
purify the incense, look over, give the nod, light the incense, step back. It was choreographed like that, you know, really nice, you know. Then they would start, they would go like, you know. So it was very, wasn't like one guy's doing one thing, another guy's doing another thing. It was, it was, it was nice. And, um, and so Prabhupada would, would come in there in the Arctic and bring some big, whoever the big dignitary was that was visiting him. <laughs> so, and see the Arctic and how nicely it's done. And these Western boys and girls, see, they are doing the Archan Paka, just like the best of Brahmins, you know. See how they're, that was the idea. <laughs> he had to convince people that these are real devotees. This is the real thing here, you know. It's actually happening. You know, Krishna Bhakti is actually, you know, take, taking, appearing outside of it. Bhakti Devi's actually gone outside of India, and these people, Western people, are actually taking to it. So um, one night, then we were. I, I had a group of devotees who were part of my group, small group. I don't know. There was about ten or twelve, thirteen of us. We used to sell books at the airports, and we would go to different temples and teach the devotees and preach to them and so forth. And and uh, I would send devotees to different temples and then we would meet up at different times. And So we were doing that. I was a brahmachari then. It was that year, Krishna Bhagavan, in 1975, that Prabhupada gave me sannyas too. Uh, but um, that, that just was a few, you know, a few days before I take sannyas and, or a week before or something like that. And nobody knew I was going to take sannyas, not even me or, or Prabhupada at that time. So, anyway, we were up on the altar, myself and two other book distributors. As I, we had, we had raised most of the money for the Krishna Balaram temple. The, the money from the BBT, from the book fund, had gone mostly for that whole year to build the temple. And our party of 13 or whatever it was, what it was men, contributed more to the book fund than any other temple in North America or, or Europe or anywhere. <laughs> so we were, we were pretty good at it. And, uh, and we, we, we raised a lot of money for the Krishna Balaram temple. In fact, Prabhupada put on, in, in the marble, BBT, TSKP, something like that, uh, that they had, and then, then two sannyasis, Yashodanandan Swami and Guru Kripa, like, thanks for their contributions or something like that, you know. They had collected money in, in, uh, in Japan. And I had something to do with that, too. That's another story. I, I tricked them into going to Japan and raising money there. It worked out well for them and for Krishna Balaram Temple. But anyway, so I felt like, okay, we're here, our group, you know, and I want the, the, the men who were with me to have a chance to worship the deities here on the altar here that's been established. They were a little nervous, but they were all, you know, had the second initiation and everything. So I said, no, come on, right up here, you know, I'll talk to the Pujaris and tell them that we're going to, you know, our group's going to do it, you know, tonight. So they said, okay, okay. So we went. And I was at the Krishna Balaram altar, and then Vaisheshika was at one, or you might not know him, but another devotee named Suradas was at another altar, the other altar. And so then we started, right? And then Vaisheshika got nervous and dropped something, and the whole thing ended up <laughs> totally out of, out of order, and here comes Prabhupada, you know? And with his dignitaries looking at each, go to each altar, Next altar, the next altar. And after it's all finished, 
He probably goes back to his room and he says, who was offering the Arctic uh, tonight? Kind of calm, you know. And then um, somebody, yeah, somebody else knew that it was like, it didn't go well or something like that. And started to say something, Prabhupada, you know, and then another said that was the other said that was Tripari Marsh and his man. He said, Oh, well, okay then. No problem. <laughs> so I guess he knew our hearts were in the right place, you know. Well, all right, so <laughs> So that was nice. Anyway, that's the spirit of it, right? If your heart's in the right place, it's hard to do something wrong in relation to bhakti. It's not a rule kind of oriented thing. So we shouldn't be neurotic, right, about making sure I follow all the rules. Same thing holds with Vaishnava Parada. Pujapachita ourselves, it's very hard to make Vaishnava Parada. It's very difficult to make Vaishnava Parada. You have, to, you have to have malice, practically, in your heart. You have to touch the Vaishnava. It has to be in relation to the Vaish- what the Vaishnava is about. An intermediate Vaishnava may be about Krishna Bhakti, but may have a temperament, too, that's external, that you know, if you don't bring the prasad hot enough, it irritates him. Then you think, I've offended him. You haven't touched him, actually. That's only his temperament. It's just as to external. It hasn't come, become completely a, uh, a bhavadeha. So it's, it's hard to offend the Vaishnava. You have to have some malice in your heart. And this, this, uh, it's an important concept. Vaishnava aparat. We should avoid it, but it's often used in a way that's that's very um, intimidating and with a view to control people. You know, offended and you know. So, I mean, these days it's they can be pretty extreme. One fellow called me up and said, "Hey, you know, I'm in such and such place, and some such and such devotee is coming, and someone." Uh, in a, a leading member of the group has said that if if people in the town if any devotee in the town doesn't come to see this Vaishnava then they've they've committed Vaishnava Parad. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to be available because I got to be to work. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a little bit extreme. So anyway, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's reality Vaishnava Parad. But otherwise, the point is. That uh, we bhakti is about having your heart in the right place, and Bhavagrahi Janardhan again, he accepts the, the feeling. Why did uh, Krishna? What's the significance of Krishna eating the banana peels offered by Vidura's wife? She did it wrong, right? She pronounced it wrong. She threw away the banana and gave him the peel, and he ate the peels. <laughs> That's bhakti. <laughs> That's bhakti. And devotees, you know, we come to the path of Shuddha bhakti from the two tracks of karma and gyan. Not that we are practitioners of the karma marg in a systematic way or the gyan marg, but because we we're enjoying and we we're bogatya, we we're announcing it and so forth. And so you come in from there. And then they tend to gravitate towards a karmic interpretation of bhakti, a dharmic or a a jnana interpretation of bhakti. This happens all the time. In karma, there's acquisition. There's a big show. 
there's something going on. Marsh, how many devotees have you got now? Oh, two. No, shouldn't have asked. I guess he's not very successful. Must not be much bhakti there. Hmm. There's a big show, so many people, you know, then must be happening. And then so many people will join on that you wish never joined. <laughs> That's what happens. You know, it gets really big and then oh, so many people. It's the thing to do. It's not a sacrifice anymore or as much. It's more like sociably, you know, fashionable and whatever. I mean, that's, that's a bit of a generalization. But there are people that that's when they, they join up. When enough is happening physically on the ground, enough temples are up, enough books are up and, and so forth, then they think it must be happening over here. But I mean, Google sure does Babaji Marge was living and, you know, alone and sometimes living in the field where people went and passed stool. But we don't think that nothing was happening there, right? And we may say that theoretically and so forth, but the practical realities, devotees will gravitate towards a karmic kind of interpretation of bhakti, a rule-heavy bhakti. A fellow wrote me just, just the other day, yesterday, and he's been, um, he's a doctor, kind of a sort of a naturopathic Ayurvedic doctor, and he he serves the devotees free in a major city in the United States, serves them free, has been for seven years, and um, sometimes he he's been to India and he's he's been um, he chants sixteen rounds and he he follows and so forth, and he. Um, his sexual orientation is bisexual. And he, I guess if he's asked, he tells people he has a partner. I guess it's a male partner, but their spiritual paths are very different. And he's been celibate in this relationship for seven years, the seven years that he's been a devotee. So he just got enough courage or whatever and enthusiasm to ask a certain uh, devotee for initiation, a guru of the, of the sect. And the fellow refused him because of his sexual orientation. So he wrote to me, because I guess he reads my stuff. He thinks I might be someone that has a good opinion. <laughs> he said, how do I understand this? I told him that, that sexual orientation has nothing to do with eligibility for bhakti. Sexual behavior might be a factor that would be, which is different than orientation, might be a factor that a guru would consider, but even then, he or she could, should consider that behavioral issue in terms of the extent to which one has a willingness to um, improve oneself. And interest in bhakti is a big statement for, I want to improve myself. And then the guru, he or she gives some criterion by which you conduct yourself in certain areas of behavior, sexually being one of them, dietary being another, right? And then um, feel comfortable that that's, a, that's pushing them a little bit from that side. And then with the help of bhakti, which is the main thing, they overcome the bad habits. Bhakti comes. That's the way it should work. The principle is if you have faith in bhakti, you're qualified to tread the path. Then you find a guru in him you have faith, then he or she gives some 
criteria. You know, they, may, they may say, take bhakti, chant. You may just say that. That's also possible. There's no law that's in, in Bhakti Shastra that says, well, he has to say that you know you have to be doing this and you can't be doing that. Then again, doing this or that may not be favorable for Bhakti. He may want to help the disciple, or she may want to, and say, so therefore, you know, you should avoid this and make it have them make a little effort. But this is a determination of the acharya to make, and it, it's a detail. It's not even a per, really a principle of Bhakti. The principle of Bhakti is to honor the faith of people who want to partake in bhakti. It's not that you have to initiate anybody that has faith in you. You have to look and see, will I be able to help this person? Are they really capable of following my instructions? And and, and uh, do they really have, uh, are they prepared to hear from me? You know, you have to test that. You're really just testing the faith, whether it has any substance, whether it's well-informed, Shastriya Shraddha, faith that's informed by scripture and the significance, or whether it's just a sentiment, you have to determine that. So I explained that kind of thing to him, and I was, I, I was surprised that, you know, in a way I thought, I told him that you have, Bhakti Devi has been misrepresented to you. If what you say is true, and the basis for your being rejected was your sexual orientation, and I said, I mean, what would, you, what would you think? What if I initiated somebody that was a meat eater and I told him, just eat chicken, don't eat beef? And then it got out, Tripurai Maharaj initiates chicken eaters. As long as they don't eat beef, he initiates them. Just see how he's cheapening the whole thing just to get some following. He just wants to... Conform to the society and what the society, society's methods, just get a following. He's just filled with pratishti. He's just, just so much wants to have followers. He just waters the whole tradition down. People would say that for sure. <laughs> They'd write me up on the, this uh, side or that one, right? That'd be it. It'd drum me out. I don't do that, but. Narada did something worse. Narada met a man whose joy in life was to half kill animals and watch them flop around. What did he do? He initiated him into the chanting of the holy name with one criterion. Kill them fully. Don't half kill them. And chant. Can you do that? That's what he asked. Kill him fully and chant. So he did that. Then Nard went away and when he came back, the man would not even step on an ant. Bhakti and the name changed his heart so much. Who has faith in bhakti? Who understands bhakti? <laughs> Rule heavy idea of bhakti. This is, influ- this is the influence of karma in your heart that you've come from that side and that you're interpreting bhakti in terms of that. So all kinds of people involved in bhakti, how much they understand. Bhakti's heavy. It's heavy. It's like way over the top. Apichad sudarachara bhajate mamanam nibhak sadhureva samanta vyasamya vyavasito visa. 
It's a heavy statement. Krishna says it. My devotees, even if they do something very bad, never criticize them. So gyan also, karma, the rules, gyan, is very strict, requires a pure heart, purity. Bhakti goes to impure hearts. That's her swarat, her independence. You hear enough about what bhakti is, and a lot of the so-called devotees won't, won't believe it or won't want, to, won't want to participate anymore. It hasn't got enough rules, or it isn't pure enough. It doesn't require enough purity. <laughs> then there's the Gan side. You know, Gan requires purity. So they're always looking for someone pure enough to have around. And, uh, and uh, it's kind of related to the sex thing or the meat-eating thing and so forth. But also renunciation. That's Gan renunciation, so. All the devotees emphasis on renunciation as a means, almost. They make the means, the way, renunciation. But that's not the way to progress in bhakti. The way to progress in bhakti is through sangha, not bhairagya. Bhairagya comes as a result of sangha, and it illustrates, it's a byproduct of bhakti. So it's important. If I see renunciation in someone, that I can think that, that their their bhakti is fruitful, but we start thinking renunciation is bhakti, and so then you have all these guys fasting and all these, you know, pushing themselves and then, uh, performing austerities and so forth. So it's hard to catch bhakti. It's very uh, it's too too simple and too too generous. We are not generous, and bhakti is super, super generous. So when we find out how generous it is, that someone less qualified, what's the qualification for bhakti? That you have faith in bhakti's efficacy. Some people, you quit, now you question it. You guys understand how much are they on, even on the path? They don't have faith in the efficacy of bhakti. So... We're looking to see someone less qualified than me is getting more more attention than from a guru or something than I am. What kind of thought is that? We become upset looking for qualification. I mean, we have to do a little bit and so forth. And it's there, you know, but these points need to be made. Look at what happened to this poor guy. I asked him who it was. He told me. And he said that the, this fellow had, he had previously served him in India and so forth. And that he had told him, yes, surely I will initiate you. But when he asked him for initiation years later, he said no. And he said, because of your sexual orientation, if I initiate you, then it would be a problem for me because the, the leaders of the group well, we know what group it was. The GBC, then they will be, um, you know, they'll give me a hard time, something like that. I mean, that's totally corrupt. That's just corrupt to the core. It's just institutionalized, uh, you know, bhakti, the institution. And ignorance takes precedent over bhakti.
And now I won't initiate you because, well, the JBC would be upset and, and you know, that would be a problem. I want to preserve the society. Why? So we can make devotees. Here's the devotee. <laughs> He's right here. He wants to be a devotee. You're turning him away so that you can make devotees. Now you think Krishna feels about that. Krishna thinks that's a great idea. Yeah. Turn this devotee away so that you can make other devotees. What kind of policy have you got? So, there's an unfortunate, very famous guru, too. Didn't scum? I was shocked. You understand? When we hear like this, we should be embarrassed to be good people. This is the idea. We should be embarrassed by the generosity of bhakti to maintain bad habits. In the face of her kindness, by which she overlooks them and comes to us anyway, this this is the kind of example, we should, this is the kind of preaching we should do. People will be embarrassed to maintain ignorance, attachments, bad habits, in the face of the generosity of bhakti. I mean, bhakti is already generous. What to speak of it's in the hands of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You follow? Any other thought on that? Yeah. Someone, many, many, many things in his life, some wrong things, and one moment he becomes devotee. He's just changing his life. It isn't a very strong Vaishnava Parata when someone memorize what he was doing or remember or saying or think about that, what he was doing before he was when he become devotee, to think about that, to memorize it isn't very high, very, very strong Vaishnava Parata to, to still speak about someone's, what he was doing before. We shouldn't do that. It's Vaishnava Parata. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it can be. Yeah, we shouldn't do that. Mahaprabhu's idea was not only not to judge someone by their past, but which is noble. We don't judge a person by the past. He said it was to judge them by their future, by their prospect, what their ideal was. If their ideal was for praying, then they should be embraced. If that the ideal they will become in due course of time. Still, in all this, obviously, sometimes we have to keep a distance from some devotees. Some devotees cannot be helpful to us. Their character is bad. Their behavior is bad. They may teach wrong. They may have some lack of knowledge about the teaching. And on that basis, they misrepresent that. We have to respect them from a distance, because they are also devotees, but from a distance. If you keep enough distance from anybody, you can have some respect for them. Sometimes it needs to be a long distance. That's true, but that's the idea. But yeah, we shouldn't evaluate, even materially speaking, we shouldn't evaluate people by their past, but judge them by what they're doing now. What else? Uh, we are talking earlier with Krishna all about, about deities in different temples, and in Gaudiamat, you often there's a, there are Radha Krishna deities together with Mahaprabhu, but Prabhupada usually didn't 
install it is like that. So do you know what are your thoughts on why he chose to do differently? Well, he did that in Mayapur originally. That was, and he did it in Calcutta. Those two places. They changed it. The devotees changed it later on after he left. Um, but uh, he had Radha Madhava and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Mayapur. And um, in Calcutta. Kujapachri Amarish reasoned that he was empowered by Nityananda Prabhu. And uh, I've also know of people outside of the uh, Bhakti Vinod Paribar and Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur's lineage and so forth, other Gaudiya Vaishnavas and other sects, a couple of well-known, uh, this was a long time ago, Babaji's and so forth. They also used to say that Bhakti Vinod is uh, Nityananda Avesh, Nityananda in a powerful way is coming to, in him to do this kind of work. So, Sridhar reasoned about that as well. He said a lot of things about it. And one of the things he, he, he reasoned spiritually, conjectured, was that therefore he established so many temples with Gornatai out of deference to Nityananda Prabhu. Hmm. Nityananda Prabhu also was the was prominent in Prabhupada's family life. Prabhupada's family was related to Uddharanadatta, one of the Dwarasa Gopals, hmm? one of the twelve Gopals, Gop- friends of Krishna Balaram, who came in Gorlila, Uddharanadatta. And his place in Bengal, Prabhupada's family was connected with that, you know, those people, those those uh, what do you call them? Merchants. They were they were gold merchants. Hmm. Uh, kind of a, a kyastas. And Nityananda Prabhu especially blessed that place. Hmm. And so they were connected with that place, and they used to go on pilgrimage there to Uttaranatatas place. They had a special connection in his family. And from from the very beginning with Nityananda Prabhu in Bengal. And again, he's empowered by Nityananda Prabhu. So out of deference to Nityananda Prabhu, and, and he preached like Nityananda Prabhu, which is very, very generous and um, widely and amongst people who were not... Um, Orthodox in their behavior and so forth. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu preached to Prakashananda Saraswati, um, Keshava, uh, uh, Kashmiri, uh, Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya, uh, in South India, Venkata, Bhatta, Prakashananda Saraswati, Sannyasis, Sri Vaishnavas, Nimbarkis, Keshava Kashmiri, uh, logicians, and Paka. Brahmins like Sarvam Bhattacharya, they are the big people that Mahaprabhu preached to. He was sent to Bengal to preach to the drunkards. He preached to Jagai and Madai. So Prabhupada, under the power, invested power of Nityananda Prabhu, went to the West and picked up hippies and so forth and made them into devotees. So there's similarities. 
between the preaching campaign of Nityananda Prabhu and Prabhupada's campaign as well to substantiate. Plus the, the deference to Nityananda Prabhu installing his deity everywhere, almost everywhere he installed the Gornitai deities and Radha and Krishna he did, but almost everywhere. So um, that's one way to way to think about that. In the end, he established Krishna and Balaram. He prayed himself that he could follow the daughters of Gopals in Prophet's prayer on the boat. He prayed, when will I again become a sukkha? When will I join you as a sukkha? Roll in the forest, bantering about from Chuta Chuti, Lutaputi, Kotavani Chuta Chuti, Vanikai Lutaputi Sedin, Kobehapimor. When will that day come that I can can uh, unite with you in in Sakura? So this is what he says there. So that's uh, the jurisdiction of Nityananda Prabhu. Mm-hmm. Follow. So some deference to Nityananda Prabhu. Some have reasoned that uh, like this. Your guru had a different idea. He wrote to me about it. About, I don't know when it was, six months ago or so. I wrote him back why. He said, well, I, uh, I still have my own opinion, but I don't, I don't mind if you have yours. <laughs> so there may be some different opinions. That was Sri Ramar's opinion. Another question? <clears throat> uh, Guru Maharaj, one of my uh, friends, he's a uh, devotee for many, many years, and he was uh, uh, quite uh, engaged and involved in uh, Krishna consciousness in Poland. And now he's in England. But I want to ask you about something because it seems that he heard many, many stories about this kind of misrepresentation of bhakti that you that you were talking before. And it really seems that he's he he, he kind of uh, lost his faith in a guru, but in general. Not in any particular guru, but he's like stopped searching for a guru. I think he feels like it won't be possible maybe to find a genuine person to guide him. And I'd like to ask you: um, Is there any uh, way to help to this this person? Well, the best way would be bring him to someone who. Who you think could help him? <laughs> let, him let him have, you know, 
you know, you, you know, tell them, look, if there's no, if you, if you don't think that you can find a qualified person to help you, then what kind of spiritual reasoning is that? Is that reasoning is that Krishna is not capable of providing someone? Are you? If that's what you really want, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvatthakur taught there's only lack of interest. That's all. There's no shortage from Krishna's side. So if you generally want, then you continue to look. Prichit Marsh looked his whole life for Krishna after he had a flash of him in the womb of his mother Uttara. And he looked his whole life and he felt that he had found Krishna when he met Sukadev. And he was right. But we should inquire. We should, If we seek, then certainly we'll find. If we don't seek, we can be sure of one thing. We won't. If you don't seek, then then you can be sure. If you do seek, there's possibility. So how much do you want it? If there's a, if you must have it, then you take the route by which there'll be a possibility, and the possibility is very good, very good. And others have different experience from him. You have a different experience, so you share that experience. Kamalakshak Prabhu got involved with me, told his brother, and he said, well, see me in five years. How many years have it been? Seven. Seven. Seven, so we're doing okay. <laughs> but of course, he's not a devotee, he's not that interested. But, hmm. <laughs> There's good agents to help. All right, I guess we've talked a while now. We should stop. So it's been nice to be here and visit with all of you. And uh, thank you for taking the effort to come. Gaur Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai, Jai Si Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada Ki Jai, Bhakti Rakshak Shri Dhar Dev Goswami Maharaj Ki Jai, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada Ki Jai, Si Bhakti Vinod Parivar Ki Jai, Gaur Premanande Hari Gaur.